your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM 608-785-7914. It's a good time to get in here. Just going to rant and rave for, for a couple of minutes before we talk about pipelines. No, not pipelines, actually. Well, maybe a little bit about pipelines, but also about mining projects. And uh, we've done this in the past couple of different times uh, with a different mining project that's happening in northern Minnesota. And it's only a matter of time, I think, before they they start happening. I mean, it's not like they're not happening in Wisconsin, but uh, there's different issues in Wisconsin that are going on. Um, but there's a, there's a pipeline that went to the Minnesota Supreme Court. Uh, not a pipeline. I keep saying pipeline. Uh, a mining project called Polymet in northern Minnesota. A little bit different than a mining project called Twin Metals in northern Minnesota. So the Twin Metals mine we've we've discussed at least three times with uh, a group called Save the Boundary Waters. And if you don't understand what that, what that means, the Boundary Waters is a, a giant, pristine uh, natural habitat in northern Minnesota. I think it's like the, the, the biggest in the U.S. Uh, and then it goes into Canada as well. But they're, they're trying to uh, put a mine just upstream from there. So mining projects, not great for the Boundary Waters. And the same thing is happening in a different part of Minnesota where they're doing a different mine. And we'll get some information from Paula McAbee. She's with Water Legacy. And this mining project would go into the St. Louis River watershed and then into Lake Superior. So when you're just talking about like, okay, what's uh, mining might not be the worst thing ever. Eventually we're going to want to, you want to do it. Can we do it safely? Uh, it, 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 what we're taking out of the ground is that, uh, you know, effective. I think even with the Boundary Waters project that we've talked to, talked about, the uh, the the Twin Metals project, that what they're taking out of the ground wasn't all that great. And then they were shipping it to China anyway, so it wasn't there. There, there isn't this like U.S. side of things. It's all these. They're all like foreign corporations that are coming in and doing this. Um, so it, it's all a little itchy, and then all that. All that stuff that the the runoff from mining pollution, where does it go? Is it is is it safe? And uh, some of the some of the issues with the mining project we're going to talk about here in a little bit is just the lack of transparency with our government, with the Minnesota, um, with Minnesota state government, even the EPA, the federal government, and we'll talk to to Paul about that in a little bit. Um, 608-785-7914. I should turn the talk and text line on. There we go. I uh, just had to hit submit there. I had a bunch of show topics. I have this list, this ongoing list of show topics that I want to, I want to hit on, but I, uh, it's buried in my, in my, what is now 142 page Google doc. And I don't have, <laughs> I don't have it headlined. Great. So I'm, I'm a little upset at myself for, for having like disorganization in my, in the, because I had some funny show topics and, you know, right around Christmas, uh, you know, there's, there's always these things, but, uh, we're, we're at the point now where, uh, did you get your Christmas shopping done and now everything's going to be more expensive. <laughs> everything's already more expensive, but now the, the idea that you get your Christmas, you didn't get your Christmas shopping done over the last weekend 
and now if you try to do it it's it's all gonna get more expensive because i just started to remember i'm like oh yeah i need to get something for this person and that person and now uh start to look and i'm like dang it i should have did this last weekend eric from sparta's calling eric go ahead you're on the air yes it's foreign corporation i wonder uh you ever think that china's buying all its land next to american military bases is that a foreign corporation rick can you tell me that um, I, I guess I, China is a country. So, I mean, are you saying like the Chinese government? Um, yeah, I saw, I saw some, something from the, like the South Dakota governor talking about how they're going to stop. I guess, I guess it was China from, from buying, from buying land in South Dakota. I don't know how you do that. It seems, that seems, uh, unconstitutional <laughs> to a degree. It would be an interesting one though. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's that's always been a topic. Even even back when I wasn't even into this stuff, I remember hearing hearing about like outside groups coming in and buying up. I mean, we see this with not so much here, but we see this with housing. And it's not like I don't think it's China, so to speak. We like to pick on China for obvious reasons, but um, I, th- I think that gets you you go down kind of a dirty road if you're if you're just going to pick on because then you're. You're going after a, a a people versus a government, but uh, we see this with corporations in terms of buying up housing and um, then charging like enormous amounts of money for the rent, like not and then not selling it, right? Like the housing is for sale, then you and then they buy it and turn it into rental properties, and then ext- and then because they own all the rental properties, they can charge what they want, right? Because then rent is scarce or rental properties are scarce, so. Uh, we don't see that a ton here, I don't think, but we also don't have a ton of rental properties. I mean, we probably have a ton of rental properties, but there's only so much space in the cross uh, to do that. 608-785-7914. All right, so if you want to look some of the stuff up and, and just kind of read about it, uh, Minnesota Supreme Court, Water Legacy, and then PolyMet. It's all one word. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back with Paula Maccabee with Water Legacy. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608 785 7914 is the text line. If you want to shoot me a question, you got questions about, I guess, like water in, in general, the safety of water, uh, these mining projects happening in northern Minnesota. And I don't know, Paula, if you're going to, if you're going to know if any of these things like end up starting to affect the rest of the nation or, even uh, like we're in Wisconsin, so are, are some of these mining projects, uh, you know, are they going to start to affect other areas? But uh, I bring you on. Paula, Paula Maccabee is with the Water Legacy. She's the, are you the director there, Water Legacy Advocacy Director? I'm the, I'm the Advocacy Director and the Legal Counsel. All right. First off, can you just explain to us what Water Legacy is? Sure. And thank you so much, Rick, for letting me talk. Water Legacy is a nonprofit organization formed in 2009 to protect Minnesota's waters and the communities, both ecological and human, that depend on Minnesota's clean waters. And a lot of our work came into being because people in the community were concerned about the threat of copper nickel mining. And um, the concern about copper nickel mining and the Minnesota regulators' inability to protect water in the face of the money and power of the mining industry. In my opinion, it has grown rather than diminished, even though we have had many legal successes since 2009. 
All right, so this is not a not a new issue. So is the PolyMet project that's going on in northern Minnesota, has that been something that you've been fighting since 2009? Absolutely. And uh, PolyMet began its environmental review process in 2005. Oh, wow. And one of the strongest reasons for our formation of uh, Water Legacy by citizens who live in northern and northeastern Minnesota is the um, draft environmental review that was coming out from PolyMet in 2009. Okay, so we've been doing this for, well, let's see here, 2005, so almost, what, 17 years? That seems like a long time. That's well, a that's a long, long project for a company to want to pull stuff out of the ground. <laughs> well, I, here, let me t- give you a little background so people can understand that um, it has taken so long because PolyMet is really a poor quality project. In 2009, um, they put in their, their initial environmental report, and the Environmental Protection Agency gave it probably the lowest rating that's possible, both that the analysis was unsatisfactory and that the environmental impacts were unsatisfactory. All right. And so Polymet then cut a deal with the Army Corps and the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources about the framework of their project, and it really hasn't changed much. Um, and then they finished all their. They they went through a, um, a huge process with you know basically hundred a hundred thousand comments, most of which were against, and hearings. And then they basically didn't change anything that they had agreed to um, back between twenty ten and twenty thirteen. The only so the only problem. They, they submitted their paper to the teacher. The teacher gave them what? A, what would you say the grade would have been? A C minus, a, a D, an F? No, it would have been a flunk. Oh, they would have failed. Have flunk. And then the teacher goes, you know what? Then, Here's your paper back. If you edit it, you know, add some some context, you know, maybe we can get you a passing grade. And they, they got the paper back, edited it, and, and submitted it again. But they didn't really edit it, so they, they, they failed again, essentially. They, they submitted the same well, work. They submitted they, 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 between their um, initial environmental impact statement and their supplement and their final. They made only minor cosmetic changes because they basically got some of the agencies to say these are the very few changes you have to make, and then we'll stand by you. And that was really prior to um, most of the public comment and certainly the um, the experts in, in the public and at the tribe going into the analysis in detail. So what this is, the first part of this analysis is that the project wasn't good enough when it was initially proposed, and it wasn't substantially better by the time the final environmental review was done in 2015. All right. And then the the second stage of the history that's really important to realize is that in, in 2015, they came out with a final environmental impact statement, and in 2018, they issued their permit. And um, I think PolyMet assumed that their permits would just sail through and then start digging and polluting the water and destroying the forest and the wetlands. Well, let, and, um, can we go there for a second? Bio- Paula, can we go there for okay. a second? Because I'm, I'm, you're setting it up, and I should have I done a better job of setting up what you're setting up is – there's a there's a company called Polymet, which is owned by I think called uh, another company called Glencore, right? That is absolutely correct. And Glencore is based in is it one of them is based in South America or maybe both of them are? Where's Glencore based? They 
Glencore is based in Switzerland, and it has been prosecuted around the world for corruption and bribery, including um, in England and in Africa. And um, they are the majority owner of Polymet, and they call they have the power to call the shots. They have um, between 75 and 80 percent now, I think, is the number of ownership they have. Yeah, and it's a billion-dollar corporation, right, essentially? Oh, Hundred of billion dollar corporation. All right, so and that multinational. So that and, that, that um, company is running a polymet mine in northern Minnesota. There's also another company out of South America. Out of uh, I can't think of where they're out of. It's owned by it's like Angla Anglacore something like that. And there there's another money mining company near the Boundary Waters. That's also controversial. Also, another outside group trying to come into Minnesota, an outside country, an, a, an outside corporation from another country. And we were kind of talking about this before you came on. but um, And they're trying to mine upstream from the boundary waters. So what is Polymet? The, the, the mining project that Polymet's trying to do is upstream from, I think, the St. Louis River watershed, which then flows into Lake Superior. Can you just define what Polymet is doing and the problems that it, that that are arising from the mining project that they're proposing? Well, what Polymet is proposing to do is to dig a huge open pit mine in the headwaters of the St. Louis River. And the St. Louis River is Lake Superior's biggest U.S. tributary. And also the St. Louis River runs through the city of Duluth, which is Minnesota's third biggest city, and runs right through the Fond du Lac Reservation, Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior, Chippewa. And the risks of the polymet mine are huge amount of acid mine drainage, which means sulfate in the water, and that is a threat to the wild rice that um, is both in the immediate headwaters of the um, St. Louis River, and at the estuary of the St. Louis River where it comes into Lake Superior. And also, um, one of the things that people, scientists have realized in the past two decades is that sulfate increases the degree to which mercury gets methylated and then can bioaccumulate in the food chain. So the amount of methylmercury in, let's say, a, a, a predator fish like a northern or a walleye could be as much as a million times more than in the water itself. And as a result of mining activities, as well as air deposition from coal, there is a huge threat to the people of Minnesota um, from mercury contamination of fish. And a, a decade ago, when they still did honest studies, the Minnesota Health Department did a study of, methyl, of mercury in newborns. And in Minnesota's Lake Superior region, one out of 10 newborns were born with an unsafe level of mercury. And there are a couple doctors in the Duluth area who are really worried about that, and I asked them, well, what does unsafe mean? And what they told me is that's a level that the literature, the medical literature says, could result in lowered IQ or other learning disabilities. So the, the threat of polymet is wetlands destruction and peatlands destruction and ecological harm, but also harm throughout the community, including the devastation of mercury contamination of fish. And that's really why so many people in Minnesota were so worried about um, the Polymet Project and are still today worried about it. We're speaking with Paula McAbee. She's Water Legacies Advocacy Director and Council. Uh, Paula, I got a text question here. 
from Sarge. He goes, what is so valuable in northern Minnesota that this company is spending so much time and probably money? We haven't even gotten to how much money they're spending on this if it's over a, well over a decade. But what's so valuable there that they're going after it? Can you explain that? Sure. What Climate is going after and what Glencore is going after is what they call a disseminated deposit, which in layman's terms is a low-grade deposit of copper and nickel. And the copper and nickel combined um, is going to be less than 1% of the total amount of of rock that they're going to be blasting out of the ground and destroying. So from the point of view of the community, you'd say we're we're losing forests, we're losing wetlands, we're losing water, um, and out of 553 million tons of rock, we're going to get less than 1% of anything that's going to be useful. From the perspective of these multinational corporations, they look at that, yes, they have to make investments to dig the hole. But if something goes wrong, the way these are set up is Polymed is a shell corporation. And so um, the way the permits are written, Glencore is not responsible for anything. So um, if, if there's a tailings dam collapse or pollution or contamination, Glencore can walk away from it. And there's a risk that the Minnesota taxpayers, as well as the community, will bear the risk. So um, what, what PolyMed is looking at is that they believe is valuable is copper and nickel. And what the community is looking at is thinking is valuable is clean water, wetlands, forests, climate sustainability, and human health. Yeah, their, their, their health indeed. Um, yeah, it is funny because this is, this is almost the same exact conversation I've had with the Boundary, Save the Boundary Waters folks. In that the what they're pulling out of the ground is the the what they want out of what they're pulling out of the ground is you said it like less than one percent. So there the, there must be value there. Is there anything beyond that? Do they do they like having that land or is it just the strictly that? And then what are they doing with that copper and nickel? Because from from my conversations with the say the boundary water people, they're shipping that to China to get uh, you know whatever happens to to refine it right. Well, most of this most of this copper and nickel is going to end up in China. And initially, Glencore had a merger with a Chinese company, and there was an explicit agreement that the uh, copper from Polymet would go to China. Uh, that agreement may have lapsed because of <laughs> how long it's taken the the Polymet to get their their project underway, and for the um, for the from the perspective of actually going beyond permits to destruction, unlike some of the pipeline projects, Polymet is still, its permits have been reversed as inadequate. The permit to mine has been reversed as inadequate. Parts of the water pollution permits have been reversed as inadequate. The wetlands destruction permit has been suspended because of the concerns of the Fond du Lac Band downstream reservation. So this project isn't going to happen anytime soon. And to some extent, it might just be that Glencore is a huge company. They just want to monopolize resources. And have, their history shows that they have gotten away with um, projects that do not satisfy best technology standards, that do not pay union wages. And I don't think Minnesota is going to be any different. All right. We're speaking with Paula McAbee. She's the Water, Leg- Water Legacy Advocacy Director and uh, when we come back, Paul, you were in front of the Wisconsin or uh, Minnesota Supreme Court yesterday, right? Or today? Yesterday? Yesterday, that's correct. All right, we'll get into what they heard your argument when we come back. 
<laughs> All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I forgot it's December first, so my rule is once December hits, we can play Christmas music. Uh, Paula McAbee is on with me. She's the advocacy director for Water Legacy. Wa- Paula, do you have a Christmas music rule? I don't have a Christmas music rule or a Hanukkah music rule. Anytime you want to play something is okay with me. Okay, well, I feel like you're, you know what, you're kind of going after the rule makers here in a way with Water Water Legacy. I feel like maybe you guys should have a policy about Christmas music because if it's June, you know, and, and, and somebody in the office decides they're going to play Christmas music, you're going to have a problem with that. I'm, I'm not sure about that. It would depend on the, on the specific uh, music and whether I liked it. <laughs> All right. So I have Paula on to talk about the mining project that's happening in northern Minnesota from a company called Polymet, which is owned by a company called Glencore, which we learned is a company that's uh, based in Switzerland uh, and a company that's going to wants to mine northern Minnesota and essentially the same thing that's happening near the Boundary Waters, send that that uh, the little bit of stuff that they that's useful out of the ground and send that to China to be refined, and a company, maybe, eventually. It sounds like this project's been going on so long, or been trying to go on so long, that they, they probably don't even know what they're going to do when they, when they get the stuff out of the ground. Um, but, it's, but it's been called a copper nickel mine. It's also been called a sulfide mine. So, first of all, and I'll get to maybe why people in, in, in southern, southern Wisconsin should worry about a mining project in northern Minnesota, except for the fact that, you know, Lake Superior is a natural, <laughs> a natural habitat, and if it's going to pollute Lake Superior, that should affect us. If it's going to pollute the Boundary Waters, that should affect us. But why? So, copper nickel mine has also been called sulfide mining, and why? Why is that, and and why should we care about that, Paul? Paula. Well, copper nickel mining in Minnesota, at least, or in Wisconsin, is the same ore deposit is sulfide mining. That's because of the geology. It's not that we're kind of trying to come up with a nasty-sounding word like sulfide and sulfur. The copper and nickel is bound to sulfide. And so when that, in, in the blasting process and the pulverizing process, when that sulfur is, re, is exposed to air and water, it creates sulfuric acid. And that means that it creates pollutants for the air, and in water it has sulfate. And that is a... Um, chemical that is toxic to wild rice, it decimates wild rice, and a chemical that also increases the um, methylation and accumulation in the food chain of mercury and making it more dangerous to people. So the deposits of copper and nickel in Minnesota and in Wisconsin are different from iron, which isn't necessarily bound up with sulfur. And so this is a riskier kind of mining. And the other thing about Minnesota, and this is true about Wisconsin, too, is Minnesota, northern Minnesota, is a water-rich environment. It's wetlands and streams and lakes. And the track record of sulfide mining is 100% failure in protecting water quality in water-rich areas. It has either resulted in acid mine drainage or toxic metals or both in either surface water or groundwater or both. So it may be possible to do copper nickel mining in a, in a way that doesn't damage the water in an arid environment, but that simply has never proved to be the case in a water-rich environment like Minnesota or Wisconsin. 
Yeah, and the problem here, obviously, a it's a water rich environment, but also it's it's upstream. One one project, one potential project is upstream from the Boundary Waters, which is like a million acres of pristine uh, natural habitat, and the other one is upstream from the St. Louis River. And then the St. Louis River watershed, which drains into the Lake Superior, which we don't want to pollute either. Um, okay, so so that is so, and it, and it sounds like these companies are kind of just are, are fighting to to do this forever, just so that other companies can't come in. So right there, they want to, you you mentioned it; they want a monopoly on the projects. Well, this is a really big concern because um, I think you make two really important points, and that. Both the Boundary Waters and the Great Lakes are sort of the world's freshwater resources. And as the climate becomes more uncertain, the necessity for protecting these resources is even more acute. And I guess I see Glencore itself, and, you know, in in the Twin Meadows, you have other multinationals based in Chile who have a similar uh, track record of disregard of environments and human rights across the globe. Having our resources, our precious resources, subject to their profit motive places a lot at risk, both in terms of Minnesota, but also America's freshwater resources. These are really irreplaceable resources, our freshwater and wetlands. They took millions of years to create. And we see the potential of having so much of this destroyed in, in just a couple decades, if we don't take action. We're speaking with Paula McAbee. She's the advocacy director for a group called Water Legacy, a nonprofit that functions up in northern Minnesota, kind of fighting. You, you, you kind of you kind of built yourself around fighting polymet, right? Like that's kind of where your, your, your roots come from. Are there other projects that you, you guys are doing to fight for, you know, I guess, water quality? Yes. You know, we, we started out as, and we naively thought, that once we took expert science and we pointed out to the agencies that polymet was going to be harmful to the environment and didn't comply with the law, that polymet would be over. Well, we've been doing this for 13 years, and we're not done. But um, as a result, what we've also noticed, and this is true in, in Minnesota, I'm not sure if it's true in Wisconsin, that our agencies keep weakening the water quality standards in order to make it easier to permit these dangerous projects. So we actually spent 11 years just defending the wildlife sulfate standard, and only last year did we finally get a victory that can't be undone. And so Minnesota's rule, which says you can't have more than 10 parts per million of sulfate because it kills native wildlife, that rule isn't going away. But in addition to polymath, We've been fighting to protect and prevent rollbacks of water quality standards for toxic pollutants. We are also working in alliance with Honor of the Earth because we have a lot of concerns about the Talon Metals Project, which is another project, and this one would affect the Mississippi River and the St. Croix River. And uh, also really what is the heart of Minnesota's remaining wild rice bread basket. I mean, much of the wild rice, in the area of northeastern Minnesota um, is vulnerable because of the history of taconite mining. And now that um, we're looking at sulfide mining, you can see resources all throughout northern Minnesota, central Minnesota, for wildlife and both the indigenous and non-indigenous community are being threatened. 
Well, now you're. So we've had a lot on. We have a lot on our plate, I would say. Well, and I think people are starting to go. What? Wait, they're on the Mississippi. There's another mining project. We Lacrosse is a Mississippi town, so the right across the road for me is the literally the Mississippi River. Um, so okay, so you were in front of the Minnesota Supreme Court yesterday, and you you talked about okay, you're fighting Polymet, but you're also are you also fighting the EPA and also fighting? Is it the Minnesota Minnesota's essential EPA or Minnesota's DNR? What, how many how many groups are you fighting within our own government? Well, in this case, um, we in the case of the Polymet water pollution permit, um, we are fighting for regulatory integrity as well as clean water. Because in a complete, um, throughout the environmental review process, the Environmental Protection Agency, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, was saying, you know, this environmental review is not good enough to allow permits, but we're going to take care of this Minnesota Pollution Control Agency when we get to the permitting process. And, and, and they kept documenting all the issues and concerns they had. Um, and then it came time for the permitting process, and they had these phone calls with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, and they said, you need to put in end-of-pipe limits to make sure that the pollution is not more than Minnesota water quality standards, and you need to make sure that you're not um, violating the downstream standards of the Fondalac ban. Well, the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency didn't want to hear that, and for the first time ever in Minnesota history, and to the best of our knowledge in the history of this Midwest region of EPA, the state went on a campaign to tell EPA not to submit their written comments saying the permit was no good. And none of the scientists, none of the lawyers, none of the managers who knew anything about water protection wanted to agree with that. But it was the past administration, and they said, we're not going to listen to our own professionals. We're just going to go along with this. And we're not going to submit our comments, even though they were already written. And it was a process of about two and a half years and a lot of legal um, work and freedom of information and lawsuits. And we finally got the full record that Minnesota Pollution Control Agency had suppressed these comments. They were some of the strongest comments I've ever seen from the EPA. And the EPA was on the side of the water. And then the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency then... Um, deleted all their documents, destroyed the documents that showed that they were basically lobbying EPA politicians. So the case that was argued at the Supreme Court was first about the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency is supposed to be an upholder of the law, not an upholder of Polymus or Glencore's interests. And so a lot of the argument was about regulatory integrity under the Minnesota Administrative Procedure Act and just plain principles of justice and fairness, that an agency shouldn't be able to circumvent the law and keep critical information secret and then issue a permit without taking it into account. So the first issue that we put up, I talked about at the Supreme Court was when an agency acts unfairly, unlawfully, and arbitrarily, they shouldn't be rewarded. And then there were sort of two technical legal questions. One is that um, the law required both the Federal Clean Water Act and the Great Lakes regulations that are just for, you know, Lake Superior and the other Great Lakes, that those laws all required strong end-of-pipe limits on pollution. And this permit kind of stands out because it doesn't have them. And then the other issue is Minnesota has, and this may not be true in Wisconsin, but Minnesota has 
really protective rules for groundwater. And they, at the very least, would have required liners under all the toxic pollution, like the tailings and the waste rock. And PolyMet wasn't required to do that. So there's three issues. One, the agency did wrong, and they shouldn't be able to benefit from that. Two, the permit needed strong and the pipe limits. And three, the permit wasn't legitimate. And it didn't. The PolyMet didn't have a right to put pollution straight into the groundwater when there are technologies that would have prevented that. So those are the really and and they didn't even get a variance from the rule. They just the, the state just let them ignore the rule. So those are the big issues. And as you can see, it, these are issues about protecting water and communities, and they're also issues about protecting a regulatory process so that the laws are followed. And the big, the big boys have to play with the rule, by the rules just like the little guys. All right, so the, the federal EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, had some negative comments or negative science on what the polymet mining project in northern Minnesota was, was going, how it was going to affect the area. Is that right? Absolutely. That's and, completely correct. And Minnesota's P- Pollution Control Agency, because they're taking public comments on do you want this mine here or not, essentially, at some point, or Minnesota is. And, and, so, and so what happened there is Minnesota's Pollution Control Agency didn't kind of put forward the EPA science on how bad this would be for the, for the area and therefore affecting what the public comment would be? Well, what Minnesota Pollution Control Agency did is they went over the head of all the scientists and lawyers to the political appointees, and so the EPA had written its comments and never sent them to the Pollution Control Agency. And the Pollution Control Agency knew under the law that if they got those written comments, they would have to put them in the record and they'd have to give them to citizens like Water Legacy who asked for them in Data for Actions Act requests. And the press would get them, and then they'd have to respond to them in writing. Mm -hmm. And that would have made it a lot harder to have a weak, inadequate permit. And so the MPCA did not want that. And EPA's political appointees went along with it. And interestingly, the um, program manager from the EPA, a really good guy, solid guy, he insisted on reading his comments and the comments of his whole team almost verbatim to the staff at the uh, Pollution Control Agency. And we know that because a district court judge in an unusual proceeding requiring investigation that we managed to get um, re- uh, required the staff lawyer to share his notes. And they were just really good notes, and they, and they had every single issue. And still, our state agency simply ignored EPA's warning that the permit was too weak and that it violated the law. All right, so it sounds like we need some heads to roll. <laughs> Who do we blame? Um, but okay, can is is are any government entities doing anything to kind of impose some rules on these mines? Because it sounds like these mines aren't great for for our area. Uh, maybe they're great in the middle of the desert if there's you know stuff to mine there. I don't know. But is are are we doing anything just to be, as to wrap up here, Paula? Are we doing anything in the government to kind of impose some rules? There are two things that need to be done. One is just stronger standards for mines, period. And there's a lot of talk going on and so forth, no action. The other thing that needs to be done is more respect for tribal sovereignty 
and tribal involvement in these decisions and considering what the impacts would be on tribes. And I believe the um, EPA is beginning to make real change in that area, and I'm hopeful that that will trigger the kind of respect for human beings and respect for nature that is necessary. When you when you left the Minnesota Supreme Court yesterday, did you feel good about how how you presented versus how you know uh, the the polymet people or maybe the EPA or maybe the Minnesota Pol- uh, Pollution Control Agency presented? Who's winning right now? <laughs> what was the score after you left well, yesterday? There's, there's no way to know what the score was. Um, a score is until the Supreme Court makes a decision. I felt our team did a really good job. Um, Water Legacy and Friends of the Boundary Waters and Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy and the Fond du Lac Band. And I also believe that our beef now is not with the Environmental Protection Agency. Our beef right now is let us change the way the state of Minnesota does regulation so that it actually protects people. And, And I have to say that the whistleblowers at EPA and the EPA manager who came and testified are a big part of the reason why we even have a chance to protect Minnesota water today. How, how do the communities around these mines feel? Because I, I often hear that a lot of jobs will come to these communities, and therefore we want these mining companies coming in. Well, the communities are really divided, because in Minnesota there are community members who rely on fish and wildlife for subsistence, both native and non-native. There are many jobs that depend on recreation, and there are many people who are moving to northeastern Minnesota with money and operating um, either more innovative businesses, uh, such as solar panels, or operating remote businesses because of the beauty and the healthiness and the, and the wonder of the environment. So it, the, there are real strong economic interests in Minnesota in maintaining the quality of our water and the, and the ability to fish and the ability to harvest wild rice. Well, how's the internet up there? Because that's all going to depend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then we get into rural broadband. Do you expect with the government going, uh, the state government going all democratic, would that something might change here, or, or, or will it still be, uh, you know, uh, the, the status quo? Well, I think we're going to see a lot of change. Exactly. I mean, one of the issues that you're talking about is rural broadband. And in some areas, like along the North Shore, it's fabulous. And there are other areas of Minnesota where it's not. And I think, you know, there, in terms of infrastructure, we need to have excellent quality Internet everywhere. And that would allow the development of more and more businesses that are value-added businesses, um, where they rely on human capital and human intelligence rather than just dig something out of a hole and it's done and it's gone. So I think that... There, there may be changes, and I certainly hope there will be. And I think also as more people realize the importance of sustainability and the value of having community-based ownership and community-based jobs that are based on human skills, I'm hoping that we will see change. Yeah, I was thinking like the state government might impose some more strict rules on mining in general if it's all one, you know, if it's all, if it's all Democratic or if it was all Republican, you know. Well, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm hopeful that there will be stronger rules on mining, and I'm also hopeful that there will be stronger rules about recycling and um, producer responsibility and protecting wetlands where carbon is sequestered. 
so that mining becomes, rather than the easy first resort for the multinationals, it becomes the last resort in Minnesota. All right, that's Paula McAbee. She's the Advocacy Director for Water Legacy. Paula, thanks for spending the hour with us. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate you having us. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be back after this. I think I went double Christmas. I think I went the same Christmas song back to back. I don't have a great... I, I just type Christmas in the thing. So, All right, December 1st, Christmas music the rest of the month. Well, at least until Christmas, right? Uh, UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Trigoski is on with us tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>